Hello, and welcome to another edition of Ask the Professor, a crowdfunded, crowd-driven feature where we respond to your questions on matters of history, political philosophy, popular culture, economics, all those things that concern us in our attempt to live well together as citizens, inhabitants of a common public space. And our question today comes from Isabel, who actually flatters me by quoting something I said at the Parliamentary Forum on Canadian Freedoms that was organized by MP David Anderson, which was that as long as legislators, MPs, MPPs, MLAs, and so on, think of themselves as members of the red team, the blue team, or the orange team, fighting to seize control of the executive branch and then wield it essentially without check, it is very difficult for us to preserve and recapture our freedoms. So she says, if the purpose of the legislature is to hold the executive branch to account, what would such a government look like? And she adds that in none of it, the legislators elect the premier. And she asks, would that be an improvement? Excellent. Few things please me like discussing constitutional theory. Let me see if I can do it in a way that holds your interest too. Possibly even inspires you to contribute to support this feature. We have the benefit of a parliamentary system with deep roots in history, going back to Magna Carta and beyond. And in that system of government, and this goes from the 13th century on, it's extraordinary, that to protect the rights that were enshrined in Magna Carta, we had one branch of government, the legislative branch, that was elected by the people. The first parliament in England in which the common people were represented was actually held in 1265. And by the middle of the 13th century, the 14th century, excuse me, by 1346, the commons was sitting separately. By 1376, they were electing their own speaker. And you follow the course of English and then British and then Canadian history down through the centuries and American history, you do find that the legislative branch is opposed to the executive branch. The executive branch has grand schemes and a voracious appetite for money. And the legislative branch is not willing to permit those who elect it to be excessively taxed. The promise of no taxation without representation goes back to 1297, before commons and lords and clergy even sat separately under Edward I. There is actually a statute, De Tellagio Non Concedendo, which says there will be no taxation without the consent of the people through their representatives. Amazing. So there is this constant opposition and tension, and throughout English history, at least into the 18th century, kings and sometimes queens are forever trying to whittle away at this, to gain the ability to raise money without the tedious necessity of getting popular consent through legislators, and also to pass law without the consent of Parliament. Henry VIII comes very close to getting Parliament to agree that anything that comes out of his mouth is law, which was the situation even in places like France, to say nothing of horrendously ill-governed societies like Russia. But it was never possible to do it. It was never possible to break Parliament. And in the 18th century, the Hanovers made a dangerous attempt to seduce it instead through perks, through honors, through outright bribery if need be, to reduce legislators to tame adjuncts of the executive branch. Maybe that even would have worked if it weren't for the American Revolution, but it failed. And so a part of the answer to Isabel's question is if you want to know what this would look like, just look back in our history. And yes, that does include the history of England and Britain to a time in which legislators, rather than being cheerleaders and facilitators for the program of the monarch, were reluctant funders of it in return for the executive branch's attentive concern for the grievances 
of the populace expressed through legislators. And in those days, there was very little of what we would call legislation. If you look at most of the statutes that were passed by parliaments until quite recently, they, they look like regulation or municipal affairs. They deal with a particular bridge being built or something along those lines. They do not consist of grand schemes for the reorganization of society. And one of the reasons why that's so is that if everything has to be passed by legislators, it's simply not possible to act the way a modern government does, issuing tens of thousands of pages of regulations. And most of the legislation in Canada today or in the United States or in Great Britain consists of authorizing the bureaucracy to make rules. What Henry VIII wanted and never got, that the law is in his mouth, as Richard II very unfortunately put it, shortly before his deposition as a tyrant. So a government that operated under this system would do a lot less because legislators would actually be looking at everything and they'd be looking at all of it skeptically. They wouldn't be part of, you know, the Justin team or the Harper team or the Wynn team or Rachel's team or whatever they call themselves these days, thinking the whole point of politics was to pile up a majority in the legislature so the executive could then do anything it wanted, which largely consists of vast social engineering schemes, extraordinary interventions in your life, tax codes that go on for thousands of pages, in the United States apparently 20 volumes, all of it trying to change your behavior. A situation in which the legislative branch existed for the purpose of preventing the executive branch from meddling with us and picking our pockets would have far less law, far fewer rules, a lot more citizen initiative, including in areas like charity. We're capable of looking after one another. We don't need the state ordering us around, jiggling the tax code, taking most of that upon itself. The other thing she asked, in none of it, the legislature elects the premier, what would happen if we did that elsewhere? Well, in a funny way we do, because a legacy of the traditional system of liberty under which Canada was created, remember in 1867, we got a constitution similar in principle to that of the United Kingdom, at a time when all levels of government in the UK took perhaps 10% of GDP in taxes, and in which ministries, executive branch government cabinets, regularly lost votes in the House of Commons and were sometimes replaced without even having an election because MPs were independent. Well, in principle, we still do that. Even if someone has a massive majority in Parliament and they crack the whip in the sausage factory, they just cram omnibus bills through. At any moment, legislators could refuse to approve a budget. And if they did that, the ministry, having lost the confidence of the House, would fall. I think it's a bad thing that we now have party leaders chosen in these vast conventions because it seems to give them an authority to stand above Parliament, to bestride it like a colossus, to be a man on horseback, exactly what our ancestors worked and sometimes fought very hard to prevent. But in any event, any ministry that loses the confidence of the House, and indeed any leader who loses the confidence of their own caucus, is finished. What we need is for legislators to rediscover their courage and their sense of purpose, to recapture that feeling that as the only part of the government that is elected, the judiciary is not in this country, the executive is not, only the legislative is, their job is not to facilitate but to impede the arrogance and voracious appetite of government. And they won't get it back until we get it back. But for that, we have to be willing to do without a lot of the government favors that we currently receive and determined not to ask for or to accept minute government guidance in all those things we do, like wearing a bicycle helmet, 
For goodness sakes, we are able to make these decisions for ourselves or we should not be permitted to decide who will represent us in Parliament or who, through our MP or MLA, will occupy the executive branch top spot. So you know what it would look like? It would look like a smaller government, a more responsive government, a more traditional government, and a much better government. As I said at the beginning, Ask the Professor is a crowd-funded, crowd-driven feature. If you're enjoying these commentaries, visit my website, that's johnrobson.ca, click the Yes, I'll Help button, make a monthly pledge to sustain me in this and all my other work, the column writing, the documentaries, all of it depends on you. And if you have a question for the professor, this URL tells you how to submit it. Thanks for watching, and I hope to hear from you.